Hello and welcome to edition number one eight nine two of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday, the second of December. My name is Byron Russell, and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls, we have Peter Brading, and our readers today are Jenny Wiley, John Ashwell, Nigel James, and Barbara Barringer. This week, we have items from the Whitney Gazette. And the Oxford Mail. Our first story is read by Barbara, and is about a return to obligatory mask wearing in shops. Yes, new rules see shoppers wearing their masks again. Mask wearing became mandatory again yesterday, as fresh coronavirus restrictions came into force in England to tackle the spread of the new Omicron variant. So the Oxford Mail headed out into the city centre to find out how shoppers felt about the changes and whether the rules were being adhered to. The government announced the changes on Saturday at a Downing Street press conference amid concerns about the new strain variant of coronavirus first detected in South Africa. So far, 15 Omicron cases have been reported in England. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the restrictions will be reviewed in three weeks, and described them as temporary and precautionary. And yesterday, he told a press conference that people should continue with their plans for Christmas parties and school nativities. Yesterday afternoon, the Mail visited the Westgate Centre Corn Market and the train station to speak with people about the rules and who is following them. In the city centre, new signs in shop windows reading "You must wear a face covering in this store" has sprung up. While out in the streets, around half of the people were wearing masks when the Oxford Mail visited the city centre. At Oxford train station, a man called Jack said the government are responding quickly to stuff, and that is one thing they have been poor with. But it's too early to say whether it is going to work or not. I do not think people will listen. He added that the new rule changes will just irritate average people. Jack explained that although he is wearing his mask according to government guidance, he is not being overly cautious. One woman, who was sitting outside the Westgate Centre and wished to remain anonymous, told the Oxford Mail. She has had to wear masks all year at university while in lectures. She said, "I agree. Obviously, it is a bit annoying to wear in shops and in the cinema. However, she was happy to wear her mask if it will prevent another lockdown." Rowan Latimer, seventeen, told the Mail he respects wearing masks in shops, but does not want to wear them in open spaces. He explained masks made him feel suffocated, and he suffers panic attacks when he wears them. The new restrictions are as follows: masks are mandatory in shops and on public transport, but not in hospitality settings such as pubs and restaurants. People who text, sorry, people who Text positive for the Omicron variant must self-isolate for ten days, regardless of their vaccination status. 
all international arrivals entering England must take a day two PCR test and self-isolate until they receive a negative result. As well as these measures, Malawi, Mozambique, Zambia and Angola were added to the UK's travel red list on Sunday morning, joining South Africa and five other neighbouring nations. And there's a very nice picture, actually, of the people walking round Westgate. Thank you, Barbara, for that headline story from the Oxford Mail. And now we move on to the lead story in the Whitney Gazette this week, which is going to be read to us by Nigel. The headline for this one is Food Parcels Go Up 42% in a Year. The number of food bank parcels given to people in crisis in Whitney and surrounding villages has increased by 42%. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Whitney and West Oxfordshire Food Bank supplied emergency food to just under 4,500 adults and 3,350 children in the district. Chair Mick Morris said, It's very busy and we thought last year was busy. A lot of people came to us just once others once a fortnight or a little bit more frequently. A common misconception is why on earth does a place like Whitney or West Oxfordshire need a food bank? But once you scratch the surface, nothing is as it seems. Some of the estates are very deprived. He said he saw a wide range of people struggling without enough money for essentials. We see people from all walks of life, he said. If someone's having a crisis and literally has no money for food, then it really is a bad state of affairs. A lot of clients are working, but they're on minimum wage. They're only one paycheck away from being in trouble. A lot of people we deal with, if something goes wrong with the boiler or the car, they just don't have that cushion. If they're on benefits, it could be that the benefit system has not caught up with them. Add to this the loss of the £20 universal credit and rising fuel costs, and it's a perfect storm for people who are already struggling really badly. These are impossible choices people are facing. Do I heat the house this week or do I feed the kids? He said the idea that food banks were for scroungers was a total misunderstanding. You can only come if you've been referred by a GP, teacher, social worker, church or addiction support professionals. A lot of people don't understand that. Our food bank works with a number of different agencies, including West Oxfordshire District Council. The food bank is only expected to provide around six parcels in total to each referral, as clients are also supposed to uh, signposted to other agencies for further support. If their situation hasn't improved, food bank assistance will continue. We are a frontline service, We have victims of domestic abuse who have literally had to leave with the shirt on their back, health issues or addiction. Mick, who is also vice president of a US video game company, got involved after he became angered by the size of food parcels going to the poorest pupils while schools were in lockdown, which were widely criticised. I thought, why don't I just get off my backside? And so I started volunteering at the food bank. And now I've taken the chair, and I absolutely love it. There's an incredible board of trustees who are all good people. The bank has 45 volunteers who weigh, store, and label the items. Whitney Rotarians offer drivers to deliver parcels to people unable to collect for themselves. 
which was particularly helpful during the lockdown when demand spiked. They have just heard that they've been awarded £250,000 from the Trussell Trust to keep the bank going for the next two years. The Trust runs a network of 428 food banks working to tackle food poverty and hunger in local communities. Mick said, The money will also fund some caseworkers employed by Citizens Advice so that when people come to us, they can really get help. We can say it's benefit debt, but what are the problems? Looking to the future, we all hope for a society where food banks aren't needed at all. So see whitneyfoodbank.org.uk for how to help. And our next item is going to be read to us by Jenny Wiley. The expanding waiting list for hospital, a scandal. More than 51,000 people are on waiting lists in Oxford's, Oxford's hospitals, new figures reveal. By the end of September, a total of 51,610 people were awaiting treatment at Oxford University Hospitals Trust, which looks after the John Radcliffe, Churchill and Nuffield Orthopaedic Hospitals in Oxford and the Horton in Banbury. Some 1,600 have been waiting a year for an appointment, with 70 people waiting for two years. The figures top a previous record figures of 44,133 people waiting to start hospital treatment at, at the Trust a year ago. In March 2020, at the start of the COVID pandemic, there were 4,200 and 35,970 people on the NHS waiting list in England. Figures show that the standard of 92% of people being seen within 18 weeks of a referral has not been met since 2016. Jackie Pierce-Shervis of Oxford Pressure Group Patient Voice said... This is a scandalous figure and we are concerned that the Trust does not have a strategy for tackling this. The most urgent cases are understandably being dealt with first, but what about those who appear to be being pushed further down the waiting list all the time, with operations and appointments being postponed in considerable pain and discomfort? The pandemic has had a dev devastating effect on the NHS and waiting times. The national waiting list is now 37.7% higher than it was before COVID-19 hit the UK. The current figure means that just over 1 in 10 people in England are on the NHS waiting list. This massive backlog is affecting people living in Oxfordshire and MP for Oxford East, Annalise Dodds, is calling on the government to help OUH with a plan to staff and support the NHS. Ms Dodds said, if people in Oxford can't get the timely care they deserve, there will be devastating consequences. The doctors, nurses and other healthcare staff at Oxford University Hospitals are doing amazing work, trying to see as many people as they can and provide quality care. But there's only so much they can do after a decade of underfunding and without the staff numbers they need. I call on the government to come to OUH's aid with a plan to staff and support the NHS in order to bring down waiting lists. Nationally, the NHS is short of 100,000 staff, including 7,000 doctors and 40,000 nurses. Jonathan Ashworth, Shadow Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, said... 
We've heard serious warnings from hospital chiefs about the unsustainable pressure the NHS is under. These figures are confirmation of a dangerously lengthy waiting times patients are forced to endure and the scale of pressure on overwhelmed A&Es. The coming winter weeks are set to be the most challenging in the history of the NHS. It's now urgent ministers fix the stalling vaccination programme, resolve the immediate crisis in social care and bring forward a long-term plan to recruit the healthcare staff our NHS desperately needs, which Rishi Sunak has failed to provide despite imposing a punishing tax rise on working people. A spokesperson for Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust said... During what has been a challenging time for the NHS, staff have worked hard and cared for patients needing critical care while continuing to see as many non-urgent patients as possible. Patients waiting for treatment will be prioritised based on clinical need and we continue to urge anyone who needs help to come forward to get the care they need. Thank you, Jenny. A very worrying set of statistics there. And now we move on to John, who has a story about the newly introduced Harper's Law. Indeed, it's headed Harper's Law on the way after campaign by Widow Lissy. People who kill an emergency services worker while committing crime will be given mandatory life sentences, the government has announced. The law change follows campaigning by Lizzie Harper, the widow of Oxfordshire police officer Andrew Harper. PC Harper from Wallingford was killed in the line of duty while answering a late-night burglary call. Harper's law is expected to become part of the statute books early next year. Mrs Harper said it's been a long journey and a lot of hard work. I know Andrew will be proud to see Harper's law reach this important milestone. Emergency service workers require extra protection. I know all too well how they are put at risk and into the depth of danger on a regular basis on behalf of society. That protection is what Harper's Law will provide, and I am delighted that it will soon become a reality. Newlywed PC Harper, aged 28, died from his injuries after he was caught in a strap attack to the back of a car and dragged down a winding country road on August 15th, 2019. Henry Long, 19, was sentenced to 16 years and 18-year-olds Jesse Coles and Albert Bowers were each handed 13-year terms in custody for manslaughter. Long, the leader of the group, admitted manslaughter while passengers Cole and Bowers were convicted of manslaughter after a trial at the Old Bailey. The jury cleared all three of murder. The sentences prompted Mrs Harper to lobby the government to better protect emergency service workers on the front line. Announcing the intended law change, Justice Secretary Dominic Raab said... We are going to pass into law mandatory life sentences for those who unlawfully kill an emergency worker in the course of their duty. I pay tribute to Lizzie Harper's remarkable campaign. This government is on the side of victims and their families, and we want our our emergency services to know that we will always support them. Mr Robb said the law would not be retrospective. 
meaning P.C. Harper's killers cannot have their sentences extended. The Court of Appeal previously rejected a bid by the Attorney General to increase the punishment. Matthew Barber, Police and Crime Commissioner for the Thames Valley, said the triumph of Lizzie's passionate campaign comes out of the tragedy of Andrew's killing. His death is still keenly felt by members of the Thames Valley Police and this change in legislation is a fitting tribute to him. It is right that the government has backed the campaign for mandatory life sentences for those who unlawfully kill emergency workers in the course of their duty. As Police and Crime Commissioner, I am well aware of the risks and dangers that our police officers face every day. The police will run towards danger to protect the public and they deserve our respect and protection in return. I am committed to doing what we can in Thames Valley to ensure the safety of our officers who put themselves at risk on our behalf. More school streets to come after pilot's result. Camera-controlled road closures during drop-off and pick-up times at selected Oxfordshire schools could come into force following a successful pilot. The School Streets Initiative was launched as part of Oxfordshire County Council's Cycling and Walking Activation Programme to improve the number of families engaging with active travel around school journeys and making such choices safer. It involved a six-week pilot of road closures being implemented by volunteers and barriers outside nine primary schools across the county. Buell Park and St Edberg schools in Bicester, Tower Hill School in Whitney, East Oxford, St Christopher's, Windmill, Larkrise and St Eb schools in Oxford and St Nicholas Primary in Abingdon. The schools took part in the project at various points between March and June 2021. Having been chosen through expressions of interest and suitability, including the assessment of safety factors. Surveys have since shown 62% of people support the idea, with 65% of pupils feeling either a lot safer or safer when travelling to schools. The plan is to roll out more school streets in the spring. Although the Council's report acknowledges Volunteer capacity is an issue for many schools and that permanent signage and camera enforcement is required to limit the reliance on volunteer stewards. If the programme is to prove sustainable, Sarah Richards Payne, Public Health Registrar at Oxford County Council, said one of the reasons the use of volunteers was such a good approach to take with this pilot was that we had people on the ground who had been trained and could engage members of the public about the programme and what it is trying to achieve. This also tried to create support for more permanent school streets going forward. On the data, she added, support was much higher among school parents and residents who were parents, with support lower amongst residents who did not have any other links to the schools. Among residents only, about 46% supported it and 41% did not. Councillor Louise Upton, Labour Walton Manor, Oxford City, Chair of the County's Health Improvement Partnership Board, said, 
I know one of the problems with school streets is volunteer fatigue. They cannot keep doing this forever, so there is a possibility that some ANPR, now that is automatic number plate recognition cameras, can be used for short periods of time to affect behavioural change and then you can move it to the next school. So it may not have to be that expensive. And it's just a picture of a lady with a dog standing in front of one of the barriers. Carrying on the theme of road safety, our next item is headed New Speedwatch Group Launches in Village. Councillors have helped set up a community speedwatch group to cut down the risk of death or injury on the roads. The scheme will tackle drivers in Long Hanborough and Church Hanborough. Oxfordshire County Councillor Liam Walker, who funded the equipment and needed for the group, said, I'd encourage people to play their part by being more aware of their speed when driving or by helping us with volunteering. We all have a responsibility to play in helping to make our communities safer for all road users and pedestrians. Every 22 minutes, someone is killed or seriously injured on UK roads, and by doing our bit to reduce speeds, we can help save lives and prevent injuries. Thames Valley Police and Crime Commissioner Matthew Barber said, I'm delighted to support communities by improving community speedwatch in the Thames Valley. Following the successful pilot early this year, the scheme is being rolled out to existing groups, and we'll be looking to expand further in the spring. Speeding is a concern to many communities, and this is genuinely a joint approach between residents, the police and councils to make our roads safer. Housing plans for Edge of Woods hit stumbling block. Plans to build 37 homes on the edge of ancient woodland previously squashed by the High Court have hit a stumbling block. In July 2017, a judge revoked planning consent for the development at Rushy Bank, just outside Charlbury, where Stocksfordshire District Council, WODC, approved the proposals in November 2015. However, the decision was successfully challenged by conservationists following strong resistance. The application was then re-approved by WODC, subject to a legal agreement in January 2020. The approval of conditions, including specification details, a surface water drainage scheme and construction management plan, have, however, been refused. The design, demolition and construction of trees was another condition refused. A refusal notice read... The council is not in a position to discharge any of the conditions because there are discrepancies and omissions on the submitted plans and information. Upon consultation for the discharge of conditions, WODC's Assistant Biodiversity Officer, Esther Frizzell-Armitage, said in her report, The Biodiversity Management Plan has been submitted and is dated 2015, and therefore it is unclear whether this report has been updated since the planning application was approved. An ancient woodland is located adjacent to the western side boundary. I understand that a five-metre buffer is proposed, and this was agreed upon within the approved planning application. However, in order to protect woodland, a number of measures should be taken, and these should be identified within the management plan. For example, 
a robust boundary to the rear gardens will need to be implemented, such as a stone wall rather than a fence. There is also little detail to explain how occupiers of the development will be prevented from entering the ancient woodland and the specific measures to be taken should be detailed. Jim Clements, from Friends of the West Oxfordshire Cotswolds, said refusal of the conditions was a positive step. An objection comment from the group read, This development will have a significant direct and indirect impact on this woodland area and its habitats, as we pointed out at the time of the applications for which there is no suitable compensation. Occupation of this development will have a significant impact on the woodland through light, noise, sound and air pollution, which the buffer zones will not in any way adequately mitigate. Felling at the site began three weeks ago with a notice from Cornbury Park stating The poplar trees in this woodland have reached the end of their growing cycle. This area will be replanted with native trees and thorns. And there's a picture which shows the beginning of this felling area at Rushy Bank. Uh, plans for two new housing developments are some of the public notices issued by local councils in the last week. 74 homes in Woodstock. Blenheim Estate is applying for full planning permission to build 74 dwellings, 60 square metres of community space, a parking barn, means of access from the A44, associated infrastructure, open space and engineering and ancillary works, on land east of of Hill High Rise in Woodstock. Full details have been submitted for approval on the first phase of 74 homes, and approval in principle, that's outline planning permission, is sought for a further 106 homes at the site. Following a public consultation, Blenheim said it would continue to work with Oxfordshire Highways to consider any alterations or interventions that are required by Oxfordshire County Council resulting from this development. They said each property will be provided with a parking space on or in close proximity to it, and these spaces will reduce the impact of cars on the street scene. And following comments, they will retain the football pitch although it might be necessary to alter the position of the pitch slightly. And secondly, up to 250 Woodstock homes is the heading. Blenheim Estate has submitted an outline planning application to build on land north of Banbury Road in Woodstock. The outline application, with all matters reserved except for means of access, is for up to 250 dwellings with community space and car barns together with associated works. Responding to the comments made in the public consultation, Blenheim said its highway engineers continue to liaise with Oxfordshire Highways to ensure there is a safe access to the development. And on the issue of the new development's proximity to existing housing, they said the planning application will be in outline, which provides limited detail of the exact positions of each new home, but this point will be considered and explained in more detail during the full planning stage. Brushing up on duster skills for Palace cleaning job. A cleaner is needed at Blenheim Palace 
to help keep portraits, furniture, sculpture and tapestries spick and span. The successful candidate will be expected to put in 45 hours a week at an hourly rate of £9.41p. They will support the Deputy Collections Manager and Keeper of Palace and Collections in ensuring standards of cleaning and maintenance are consistent and to a high standard. The job will also include cleaning the service areas, toilets and other facilities. Deputy Collections Manager Carmen Alvarez said Blenheim Palace is one of Europe's most important and spectacular buildings with a rich and fascinating heritage. It also plays host to close to a million visitors every year and the Palace cleaning team has a vital role in ensuring it maintains high standards of cleanliness throughout. The job involves cleaning and maintaining the areas within the palace complex and visitor areas, including function rooms. And the website is cwww.blenheim.org slash careers slash vacancies. And there's a nice picture of a young lady uh, wearing special gloves and using a paintbrush cleaning one of the exhibits. Christmas is officially underway, with big lights switch on. The Christmas lights in Whitney have been revealed to the public in style. Whitney's Christmas light switch on made a triumphant return to the town and officially kicked off the festive season on Friday night. Last year's event was unable to go ahead due to safety concerns about COVID-19. This year's switch on was jointly organised by the Whitney Rotary Club, Whitney Lions, Whitney Roundtable as well as being supported by Whitney Town Council. The event featured live music, stalls, Santa's Grotto, food and a fun fair. Crowds descended on Market Square and the lights were turned on at 6pm. Whitney MP Robert Court said, Wonderful Whitney Christmas lights switch on last night and fantastic to see such huge turnout for this, the highlight of the festive calendar, particularly after last year's absence. Many congratulations to everybody who was involved in this year's wonderful display, including Rotary Club of Whitney, Whitney Town Council, volunteers and all those who brought their stalls along. A Whitney Town Council spokesman said the council was delighted to support the Rotary Club and the return of the event. Other areas in the county, however, have not had their usual switch-on events, with a number being cancelled. The Abingdon Christmas Extravaganza, which is organised by the Chamber of Commerce and normally runs at the end of November, will not go ahead. A spokesperson for Abingdon Chamber of Commerce said the pressures on businesses and personal life over the last 18 months has left little room for extra activities in most of our lives. At the time we would normally approach businesses for sponsorship, we were in a national lockdown Furthermore, the situation was never clear as to what the festive season would be like. Asking for sponsorship and booking entertainment along the lines that we have been doing in previous years was just not feasible. In Didcot, the Christmas street fair has also been cancelled due to concerns around social distancing. Instead, two smaller events at Milton Gate and the Orchard Centre have been organised. A spokesperson for the Whitney Christmas Fair said, uh, Didcot Christmas Fair said, Didcot events team are sorry to say this year's Didcot Christmas Street Fair cannot go ahead. 
For various reasons, we felt we could not be responsible for a large event in Didcot when people are still cautious about gathering in large numbers, which we cannot restrict or control. We know many of you will be disappointed, and many of our charities, clubs and groups who raise money for their good causes will miss out. And there are two lovely pictures of uh, the crowds enjoying the switch-on of lights, looking very festive and very jolly. And the seasonal news continues. Panto comes back to free Rapunzel from lockdown, writes Miranda Norris. The wicked villain coronavirus stole the show from Chipping Norton Theatre last winter. winter. Boo! But Panto is back. It's not behind us. This year's Panto is Rapunzel with knights and maidens, sword fights and sea storms in a show written by Ben Crocker and directed by David Ashley. Poor Rapunzel has been stuck in a castle tower for 18 years, imprisoned by witch, Gothel's magical powers. But she's not the sort of girl to let that defeat her. With the help of her nanny, a charming yet cheeky prince, and great hair, she's going to escape into the big wide world. There's panto traditions aplenty, including an audience dance-along, the chance to catch sweets, and being sprayed by water pistols. J.J. Henry returns to Chippy Theatre as the dame and is hilariously funny as Brunhilde Blunderberg, Rapunzel's nanny, getting everyone going with his innuendo and mindfulness routines. Rianne Lynch, as Rapunzel, is a great singer and comic and matched by Alex Cardell as Jack and Lad Rudy, with whom romance finally blossoms. Hooray! Now she just needs to bring him back to life. Hilda's scouting mad son, Max, played by Anna Soden, is outstanding and turns out to be intrinsic to a plot which, typically for Panto, takes a bit of a detour. And if the witch Gothel, Amy Rhiannon Worth, and her pet weasel Waylon weren't so funny, we'd boo her even more. There's topical gags. They even get a laugh out of a lockdown and hand sanitizer. There's also a timely sketch about Brexit and two customs officials, Jobs and Worth, who insist upon the correct dress to enter the country. A hat for ladies and a tie for gentlemen. The only way to get them is to sing for them, which we all have to do several times. The the only way... Sorry. I apologise about that. Uh, Pip Leckenby's colourful sets are cleverly designed and there's modern songs by Becky Applin, which I thought, particularly the open number, reminded me of Disney's Frozen. My son thought they were even better than that. Finally, a big shout-out to the Pippins, young actors aged 9 to 14, who are incredibly confident in their various roles supporting the main cast. The audience were buzzing and well on their feet by the time the grand finale, which appropriately ties everything up with a high-energy happy ending. Seriously, says Miranda Norris, not to be missed. Thank you very much, Jenny, and that's the end of the first part of the edition. And we move on to this week's reflection on the theme of Advent, which was written by the uh, recently appointed rector of St. Lawrence's Church in Coombe, the Reverend Ralph Williamson. As a student, and while training for priesthood, 
I had a range of temporary jobs. I electroplated battery cases, entered purchase invoices in a ledger, and swept the floor in a factory which made windows. I washed up huge burnt pots on the night shift at a Gatwick hotel. I worked as a carer too, in homes for people with disabilities and with the elderly, winching people into the bath and clearing up when someone mistook the laundry cupboard for another small room. Helped me to think about my own frail humanity. One day, the woman at the employment agency rang and said, "Can you cook?" I've always liked cooking, but my overconfident young self was momentarily taken aback. She explained that a care home for the elderly with twenty residents needed a cook for two weeks. Could I do it? They were desperate. So I said, "Yes," and had visions of cooking spaghetti bolognese and fish pie for the hungry residents of the home, of the home, which was somewhere near Orpington. The agency manager was very grateful, while no, no doubt crossing all her fingers and hoping I wouldn't poison anyone. When I arrived there on Monday morning, I was delighted to meet the lovely residents, who looked forward to their hot lunch and enjoyed a bit of banter and chat as their breakfasts were delivered. What was not so good, however, was the kitchen, where I discovered that everything they were to eat came out of a packet or a freezer bag. The menu was fixed already and was predictably bland, but the ingredients were all instant: instant mash, instant sponge, instant cheese sauce, instant pastry, instant fruit mix. My heart sank at the lack of fresh ingredients, the lack of opportunity it offered for inventive cooking. The storeroom was filled with row upon row of packets, and boxes of mix to make various sorts of mush. I got through the two weeks. Without major disaster, apart from an appalling toad in the hole, and learnt how to add the right amount of water to the packets of powder. I had great fun chatting to the lovely men and women who lived there, and to the dedicated staff, while I brought the breakfast trolley round, and I greatly improved my washing up skills. But the experience made me long for slow cooking, and the chance to make something from scratch, for the methodical. Laborious, meditative, step-by-step -step kitchen creativity, which I had learnt from my mother. Really good food cannot be rushed, and time spent preparing a meal is never wasted. Since my fortnight as a cook over thirty years ago now, our culture has been speeding up steadily. Now we can answer emails and complete deals while on the beach. Find out anything at any time from our phones, and are coming to expect instant solutions, instant gratification, instant fixes, and instant results. Yet the best things in life move more slowly. A forest takes hundreds of years to regrow. A garden is planted to give pleasure in five, ten, or maybe even twenty years. A good wine or whisky may take a decade to mature. Autumn slowly turns to winter, and spring must wait until the cold and darkness have done their essential work. Human love must deepen and grow slowly through experiences of many kinds. We take time to grow in our understanding of ourselves and of one another. No experience is wasted, and our slow and gentle learning is part of the process of becoming more completely ourselves. 
The Christian season of Advent begins on December the 5th and is also a time of waiting. As we wait for the celebration of Christmas, we remember the year which has passed and look for evidence of God's work in our lives during that time, whether our experience was joyful or challenging. We may offer to God the lives we have had, and we ask to be changed by the presence of God with us as we wait to celebrate the coming of Christ once more. This is slow work, but important work, as we slowly turn our lives towards the light. And so, let's move over to our regular quiz, and the answers from last week, on 25th of November. I'm sure that our readers would love to have a go at answering these. Question number one. Cranford is based in the town of Knotsford. In which county would you find Knotsford? It is indeed Cheshire. Trollope's Barchester is a fictional city. On which three cities is it based? That's a hard one, that one. It's Winchester, Salisbury and Exeter. In which radio programme do the characters visit Borchester? And everybody got that one. Yes, it was the archers. With which weapon are yew trees associated? Yes, it's the longbow. And number five, which part of a yew tree is not poisonous? Well, don't try this at home, but it's the red flesh around the seed, if anybody asks. And so to this week's quiz, which has a musical theme. On December 2nd, 1983, the groundbreaking music video for Michael Jackson's song Thriller aired on MTV. And so the quiz this week is all about popular songs. Number one. Who had a major hit with the song, It's Not Unusual? Number two. Which 60s pop song has been covered by more artists than any other? Number three. Which charity song did Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie write in 1985? Number four. Which singer is famous for her song, You're So Vain? And number five, which singer-songwriter wrote about clouds in the song Both Sides Now? And now, before we go on to the second part of this edition, we're saddened to announce the following deaths, which were listed in the Whitney Gazette this week. On the 10th of November... Christine Vincent. On the 17th of November, Sharon Bolton. On the 22nd of November, Paula Rees and Raymond Wiggins. On the 26th of November, Robin Connaughton. Our condolences go out to their friends and their families. And now we move on to the second part of this edition... And the first three stories are all about our four-legged friends. The first will be read by John. 
Risky snow weather shuts down the wildlife park. Cotswold Wildlife Park has hit back at criticism after it was forced to close due to extreme weather conditions. The managing director said it would be completely irresponsible to remain open while roads were dangerous following a bout of stormy weather. The Burford Wildlife Park closed over the weekend due to Storm Arwen and shut again on Monday after it snowed. A spokesman for the site, which is usually open year-round with the exception of Christmas Day, posted on Facebook, To ensure the safety of our staff and visitors, Cotswold Wildlife Park is closed today, that's November 29th, due to extreme weather conditions. They said they would be in touch with anyone who had booked an animal encounter, keeper for a day or junior keeper experience, and there would be refunds or tickets to use on another day, before adding, thank you for all your patience and understanding. However, one potential visitor replied, you call half an inch of snow extreme conditions? Really? Reggie Hayworth, managing director of the park, said, the roads around us are absolutely treacherous. We looked at the weather forecast and there was no prospect of the road being safe by the time we opened at 10 o'clock. He said he would have been completely irresponsible to open as you couldn't see the car park and the drive was icy. We are all being asked not to unduly burden the NHS at the moment. If people coming here had had an accident, I would be feeling very, very guilty. Many followers of the park said they understood the situation. And there's a a picture alongside of Stella, who is one of the zebras sheltering from the snow. It might be frosty out, but warm welcomes await our rescue pets. We've seen the first snow of the winter at Blue Cross in Burford this week. We think one-year-old Jack Russell Terrier Fern and eight-year-old Staffy Oscar both enjoyed their snowy walks at our centre in Shilton Road. They're both reserved to head off to new homes ahead of Christmas, which is great news, but we have plenty of animals, including small animals and horses, still looking for homes. I hope you've been keeping toasty and warm. At our rehoming centre, all kennels and the cattery have underfloor heating, so pets are kept nice and warm during the winter. We also have plenty of our pets being cared for by our volunteer foster carers. When there's snow on the ground, do take care to keep a close eye on your pet. As I mentioned last week, you may notice your cat spending more time indoors, for instance, during the colder weather, but it may be worth providing them with a litter tray inside if it gets super frosty outside. Meanwhile, continue to take your dog out for routine walks where it is safe to do so and wash their paws when they get back just to get rid of any grit that they may have picked up on their pads. We've advised on our website on how to care for horses during the snow, although ours here at Shilton Road seemed unconcerned that their fields had suddenly turned into a winter wonderland. We've taken in a number of cats for rehoming recently, including a mother and her kittens, and another cat whose owner was too ill to care for them. We're here to help, whatever the reason, 
for having to make the decision to rehome a pet. As we know, people's circumstances can change very quickly and how difficult a decision it can be. For owners who are unsure who would take care of their pet should their companion outlive them, we have our Pet Peace of Mind service. By signing up, you can be reassured that your pet will be taken into care of Blue Cross and found a new home. You can find more details on our website, bluecross.org.uk, hyphen, along with lots more pet advice, and all the pets who are looking for new homes. And there's a very nice picture of Fern, the one-year-old Jack Russell. She's uh, jumping around in the snow. Our next story is about a dog that wasn't quite as lucky. Kennels step in to save a dog hit by car. An animal rescue centre has stepped in to save the life of a terrified dog that was hit by a car on the A34. Ardley Rescue Kennels took in the injured stray after he was picked up by a kind member of the public who they've not been able to trace. The centre funded 7500 for the animal to undergo life-saving treatment and now is appealing for donations to help fund the rest of the wounded animal's care. Annabel Pottle from the centre, which provides care and support to unwanted, stray or abandoned dogs, said he was first seen on the M40, and then he went on to the A34. So we think the accident was at the junction near Bicester. He got free from his home and lost his bearings, and then ran to the main road. It was particularly busy as it was Guy Fawkes night, so we have named him Guy. The impact of the collision was so great that Guy's jaw was fractured in four places and a feeding tube had to be inserted to allow him to eat. The kennels, which relies solely on donations, appealed for cash to pay for surgery, but in the end decided to go ahead and book the appointment with the specialist Eastcott Veterinary Referrals near Swindon as the dog was in such discomfort and unable to eat. Annabel said he stole a biscuit at the vet's but couldn't eat it. He was so skinny and we are really struggling to get weight on him now. Guy, who is a lurcher Saluki cross, has had one operation but needs another in six to eight weeks' time to have a pin removed from his jaw and three more teeth removed. The kennels estimate the further costs will be £1,500 to £2,000 on top of the £7,500 they've already spent. Following his surgery, Guy will be ready to be rehomed in a kind, loving home, which the kennels estimate could be by early next year. He was really lucky, said Annabel. He could easily have been killed. The kennels will be running a stall at Bicester Christmas Market to raise some of the money and will soon be launching an online appeal for donations. Ardley Rescue Kennels has a long history of helping animals in need. In December 2015, the Bicester-based organisation paid for a lurcher and collie cross, Jack, to undergo surgery to remove a life-threatening tumour after learning that he otherwise would have to have been put down. And now for some good news about local charities. Community Shop Award. A shop run by a community near Oxford has won a Rural Business Award handed out by the charity Plunkett Foundation. Seven inspirational community businesses from across the UK have been recognised for their outstanding contribution to their area. 
The awards are held annually by national charity, the Plunkett Foundation, which supports rural communities across the UK to tackle local issues such as isolation, loneliness, employment and well-being through supporting community-owned businesses. Sanford Talking Shop won the Rural Vision Award, Environment Award. Great British Bake Off Judge Prue Leith handed out the awards at a ceremony last week. James Alcock, Chief Executive of the Plunkett Foundation, said, The impact of these award winners continues to transform the lives of the people they serve. Supporting Insight Loss The Royal National Institute for Blind People's Awards will return in 2022. They aim to highlight the contributions being made to break down barriers and improve the world for people with sight loss. Nominations are now being sought from people in the southeast of England and the award winners will be announced at a ceremony which will take place at the Central London Hotel in March. RNIB Chief Executive Matt Stringer said, At the very heart of the RNIB's See Differently Awards are the stories of people using their time and skills to improve the world for people with sight loss. We want to champion and celebrate these outstanding achievements and share the great work that is happening in the sight loss sector. Download eligibility criteria at rnib.org.uk forward slash SD awards. Entries must be in by December the 17th. Charity has fostering service in Brazil. Church Mission Society, an Oxford-based children's charity, has been given permission to launch a groundbreaking fostering service in Brazil. Revive is a pioneering initiative set up by CMS Mission Partners to provide a home and protection for abused and vulnerable girls in Olinda, northeast Brazil. It has been given the green light to launch a groundbreaking fostering service, the first of its kind in the area. A commission, including representatives from social services, has now been formed and will oversee how the service is run and operates across Olinda, a city with a population of around 400,000. Andy Roberts, Director of International Mission at CMS, and co-founder of Revive, said, This is a momentous decision. From the moment we set up Revive, our vision has been of the day when we can close down our children's shelter homes, not because there aren't any children being abused or needing care, but because they're being cared for within a strong, quality fostering service. We believe that children should be brought up in families, But until now, a fostering service didn't exist in the region. As a result of the new service that Revive can offer, many abused and vulnerable girls will have their hope restored and can look forward to a future free from abuse inside a loving, caring foster family. And if you want to know more, you visit churchmissionsociety.co.uk and there's a picture of Andy and Rose Roberts, um, which is rather nice, and they're smiling. Our next story is headed, Rugby Squad Scores £50,000 for Clubhouse. 
A rugby club can now pay for much-needed extension to its clubhouse after receiving a £50,000 grant. Whitney Rugby Club was awarded the money from West Oxfordshire District Council. The authority allocated £134,500 of grant funding to a number of local projects and organisations providing sports and outdoor activities that benefit local communities. The grant has helped the club reach its target of raising £250,000 and the club chairman, Bob Fisk, said the need for the extension was identified by us as our membership is increasing and the tradition of providing after-match meals for the home and away sides after matches meant we basically had nowhere to sit. The club also identified that the Whitney Wolves, an SEN team, would benefit from an indoor space if the weather was too bad, then they could still meet up and have indoor fitness fun sessions. The project will be funded through an RFU loan of £100,000, the council grant, two Whitney-based trusts and the club's own funds. Planning permission has been approved, drawings are being produced for quotation at the beginning of January, and work is expected to start at the end of April. Whitney Rugby Club hosts the Whitney Colour Run and the Witchwood Forest Festival, as well as allowing the Windrush Medical Centre to use the space for COVID vaccinations. Mr Fisk said, Clearly, the additional space will also open up the opportunity for other events. Whitney is an expanding town with many new houses being built, and WODC and WRFC realise the need to provide facilities for sport. WRFC is not a, is a not-for-profit organisation, with all monies raised going back into the sole purpose of the club, which is offering the facilities, training and enjoyment of rugby in West Oxfordshire. The club currently has three senior men's sides, a veteran side, a ladies' team, teams in each age group from under four to under 18, and the Whitney Wolves team. Under the headline, Derek Spreads Wings with Bird Feeders, is a picture of Derek King with one of his bird feeders. A pensioner who raised more than 2000 for the NHS at the height of the pandemic is continuing to raise funds for charitable causes. Derek King made wooden bird feeders and planters this year, with all proceeds going to the League of Friends of Whitney Community Hospital. Now, the Whitney resident has raised a further £375 for the NHS, £375 for children in need and £300 for Water Harvest, a charity which provides drinking water to rural communities in India. Mr King said, this has meant working long hours replenishing stock that had been sold. At my age, I feel I should take a long rest and will only be making things to order until the spring of next year. And now it's time for the notice board. Christmas is getting on the way, and there are a number of family-friendly events in and around Oxford. <clears throat> First, we had news of a pantomime earlier on. Well, there's another one, of course, at the Oxford Playhouse. For the Oxford Playhouse pantomime is back. Oh, yes, it is. On January the 9th. Cheer on Robin Hood and his merry band as he tries to outwit the sheriff and probably succeeds, as it is a panto. Tickets are £15 via www.oxfordplayhouse.com or on 01865 305 305. 
Then, on December the 4th and 5th, in Broad Street, comes the Oxford Christmas Arts Market. The market will feature artists, design makers and selected guests. The Oxford Arts Market is delivered by Boffy Arts Market in partnership with Oxford City Council and Oxfordshire Arts Partnership. See www.boffy, that's B-O-F-F-Y, boffyartsandevents.com. And finally, returning in 2021, after last year's restrictions, comes the Oxford Christmas Market along Broad Street from December the 9th. The city will be filled with festive joy and the sound of choirs, market traders offering handmade gifts, colourful decorations and an aroma of mulled wine and cinnamon. On from December the 9th until December the 19th. For further information, www.oxfordchristmasmarket.co.uk And finally, the Whitney Torch Fellowship which provides advice, support and opportunities for fellowship and library services free of charge, meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm in the Welcome Church, High Street, Whitney. New members are very welcome. The contact number is 01993 891 639. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. These include Sonata Plus, Podcast and Alexa. Full details can be seen on our own website at www.wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link, listen online. So, that's all we have time for today. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and then are unable to continue our service to you. And remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will contact you. And talking about contacting us, a big thank you goes out from us to Larry and Zara Green, who sent us a lovely Christmas card and a donation. Thanks very much to them. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette, the Oxford Mail, and the Coombe Courier, which provided our reflection this week with their kind permission, for the content that we have used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert and copier Peter Brading, who is copying the memory sticks as well as working his magic on the microphones. And to our volunteers, Penny Brady, Dorothy Allen, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records of this in our extensive register. And finally, a big thanks to our readers tonight, Jenny Wiley, Barbara Barringer, John Ashwell and Nigel James, both of whom are also copying the USB sticks and packing them off to send off to you. Keep listening at the end of our programme for an info sound item, which gives some highlights of this week's best radio listening. I know everyone would like to say goodbye for now, and so until our next edition... Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
INF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, December 4th. The first choice is the Penny Dreadfuls present The Odyssey. The comedy trio embark on a Victorian spoof at 2pm on Radio 4 Extra. At 3pm on Radio 2, Ryland on Saturday features guests, music, including Christmas tunes and Lisa Tarbuck. Opera on 3, Radio 3 at 6.30pm is a production of a contemporary opera, Eurydice, by Matthew Alcon, coming from the New York Met. Over to Radio 4 Extra with an evening of John Wilson's Masterclass Sessions in which musicians including Sir Paul McCartney, Robbie Williams and others discuss their songs. And a choice between music or drama at 9pm, there's David Meller's Melodies on Classic FM or on Radio 4 another episode of Brief Lives with another case for Solicitor Frank. Sunday, December 5th, has laughter at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. Imposters at Blandings, an adaptation of P.G. Woodhouse's novel featuring the indomitable Smith, Martin Jarvis is as wonderful as ever as Lord Emsworth. The grand finale of the Young Chorister of the Year is at 7pm on Radio 2. Drama on 3 at 7.30pm on Radio 3, a seasonal caustic comedy drama, Winter Solstice. The last bark of the Bulldog at 8pm on Radio 4 Extra is set in 1953, when the PM Winston Churchill suffered a stroke. Radio 2 at 9pm is the place to listen to Tracks of My Tears, in which actor Alan Cumming and the Norwegian songwriter Sigrid discuss the music that makes them cry, happy and sad tears. Also, something different at 9 on Classic FM... Moira Stewart meets well-known names from the arts, politics and entertainment and asks them about the personal significance of a piece of music. And finally, at 11pm on Radio 3, rounding off the weekend, Music's Inner Vision discusses blind or partially sighted performers through the ages, including Louis Braille, who was an accomplished concert organist. So programmes then that are serialised Monday to Friday, same time, each day, same radio station. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, same time, same radio station. Book of the Week, Radio 4, 9.45am, Wintering, by Catherine May. A reflection, sometimes humorous, account of her struggle to cope with bad times. Radio 4 Extra, from Tuesday to Friday, is a dramatisation of Ben Hur, 10am, and repeated at 3pm. That's on Radio 4 Extra. Nagabunchetti and Adrian Charles, between them, host a programme of news, interviews and opinions at 11am on Radio 5 Live. Composer of the Week at noon on Radio 3 is Mark Anthony Turnage. A new series of Faith, Hope and Glory returns to Radio 4 at just after midday. In 1953, with the story of hope. It's a history of post-war Britain told through everyday lives. 1.45 on Radio 4, a continuation from last week of Mail Order, focusing on the donors. The Classic FM concert with John Suchet is at 8 o'clock every day of the week, with seasonal offerings this week. And the Book of Bedtime, The Omen, read by Owen Teal. Be ready to be deliciously thrilled and scared at 10.45 each night on Radio 4.
On to the rest of the programmes then that we want to highlight for you on the radio, starting with Monday, December 6th. The second series of the climate emergency drama No Place But The Water is at 2.15 on Radio 4, and a further two episodes at the same time, Tuesday and Wednesday. A psychological thriller, Jane Lake, is at 3pm on Radio 4 Extra, and added interest is that the lead actor, Georgie Morell, lost her sight in her 20s. An old favourite, quote, unquote, on Radio 4 at 3pm, and another perennial favourite, I'm sorry I haven't a clue, back on Radio 4 at 6.30pm. The Wedding Detectives have another case at eight on Radio 4. Writer Paul asks the detectives to track photos of his parents' wedding in 1956 and they find something surprising and the story takes a different turn. The Blue Show with Keris Matthews is at 9pm on Radio 2 and start the week at 9.30, which was on earlier on in the day but it's repeated at 9.30pm on Radio 4, explores witches, witchcraft and witch hunts with Andrew Marr and guests. Tuesday, December 7th, and it's the opening day of the Ashes, Australia versus England. Now, as the test is in Australia, cricket fans are in for some late nights. It can be heard from 11pm to 8am on 5 Live Sports Extra, or on Longwave Radio, Radio 4, from 11pm to 8am, with short intervals for news bulletins. Good luck to England, unless you're an Australian fan. Under the Influence at 4pm on Radio 4 examines the rise of behavioural science in politics, particularly during the Covid pandemic. It's followed at 4.30 by another in the Great Lives series. This week, the life of J.R. Tolkien is considered. Radio 3 in concert at 7.30, music by Vaughan Williams and Fala. Classic comedy on Radio 4 Extra, Round the Horn at 7. Winston in Europe at 7.30. All in the Mind examines new research into how musical earworms heard during the day can continue during sleep. It's at 9pm on Radio 4. And The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum, 9pm on Radio 2. Cricket continues all through the week, so you can listen to the Wreath Lectures at 9am on Radio 4. Rutherford and Fry delve deeper into the theme of the Wreath Lectures, at 11am on Radio 4. John Finneman's Double Axe follows at 11.30, when he's joined by Michael Palin. Then into the evening, at 6.30, a choice between the radio detectives on Radio 4 Extra, which looks at the Paul Temple series created by Francis Durbridge, and on Radio 4, Mark Steele's in town when the comedian visits Walthamstow. Back to Radio 4 Extra for Hancock's Half Hour at 7 and no commitments at 7.30. Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm has music by Shoskakovich and Rachmaninoff. Due to the Wreath Lecture, the Book of the Week is at 8.45, and the Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe on Radio 2 at 9pm. An afternoon of music awaits on Thursday, with the afternoon concert on Radio 3 from 2 till 5 containing pieces by Britton, Bernstein, Bach, Mozart and Wagner. If you've been following This Thing of Darkness, part five is at 2.15 in the drama on Radio 4. While this week's Open Country visits the shores of Loch Shiel in the West Highlands, 
in the company of folk musician Ingrid Henderson on Radio 4. An hour of comedy on Radio 4 Extra begins in the evening, 7pm with Hancock's Half Hour, 7.30 by King Street Junior. Sibelius and Vorjak feature in the Radio 3 concert at 7.30. And The Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9pm on Radio 2. And finally, rounding off the week, Friday, December 10th, and Christmas Every Day is the drama at 215 It's an inspiration in the recent social care bill and its consequences on a typical British family. And three contrasting choices for you at 7pm with Dad's Army on Radio 4 Extra, Tony Blackburn's Golden Hour on Radio 2, on Radio 4, Lem Cisse's Poetry Rebels looks at the political poets of the 70s, together with Benjamin Zephaniah and Attila the Stockbroker. We've come to the end of another week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one over radio listening. TNF Soundings.